gender fluidity, gender dysphoria, homosexuality, bisexuality, pansexuality, asexuality, transgenderism. Who feels a little bit confused by everything that's going on? We live in a world today, we live in a culture today where we have these multiple ideas of what gender and sexuality should look like and how they can give expression to themselves. And yet we stand as the church called by God to represent the kingdom of God and called to be a witness of something of the creative power and design of God and the rescuing saving hand of Jesus Christ in our world. I'm so conscious that uh, the church is not normally very good at dealing with subject matters like this. It is much easier as a pastor not to stand up here and look you in the eyes and talk about these kinds of things. But likewise, the scriptures talk about gifts given to the church, pastors and teachers who are able to equip us so that we can, one, know what we should think as followers of Jesus, and two, be able to represent that Jesus to the world. And so my deepest desire today, uh, this evening, as we go through some of the things I'm going to say, is that you would receive it in the way that we were to receive Jesus, as He came in grace and truth. And so we will look at the Scriptures for our definition of truth, but I want to deliver it as graciously as I can. And I'm aware that sitting in this room are men and women who grew up in Christendom. They grew up where the culture was the values of Christianity. And therefore, the very conversation of homosexuality, pansexuality, asexuality, transgenderism, gender confusion... You have no frame of reference for how to deal with that. And I'm also conscious in this room are teenagers who that's their very real world. And so I know that I'm going to say things tonight that are going to scratch both extremes. My intention is not to rub the wrong way. My intention is to open up the Scriptures and allow the Spirit of God to teach us so that we may be better followers of Jesus, and that we may be better lovers of people as we continue on our journey. And so if I pass a comment that comes out possibly a little bit sideways and offense creeps into your heart, I'm going to ask you to be gracious towards me because that is not my intent. Is that all right? Gender and sexuality big subjects for us today. And I want to say this to those that are older in the room. This subject matter is very much for you as kids and grandkids and culture continues to be shaped around you and you increasingly live at odds with the culture that surrounds you. And so I do trust that we would all open our ears and our eyes, whether gender and sexuality is a thing for you or not a thing for you, it is very much a thing for what is going on in the world. And so we need to give it our attention. 
And so before we dive into the scriptures, I just want to define sexuality and gender. So when I talk about these things, you have a definition, you, you can understand what I'm talking about. And so sexuality refers to God's, there's a big word here, anthropological. I want to give it to you because anthropology is the study of origin, okay? So sexuality refers to God's origin design and pattern for the procreative relationship between male and female and the experience of erotic desire within that design. Gender refers to the biological differences in male and female and the different cultural ways in which we give expression to that. So that's sexuality, that's gender. We're going to dive into the scriptures, and we're going to trust that the Spirit of God will help us on our way. James chapter 1 verse 5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So when I, start, when I start talking, gender fluidity, gender dysphoria, pansexual, asexual, homosexual, bisexual, transgenderism, who lacks wisdom? Oh, some guys have got it waxed here. Maybe we should swap. You guys take the mic. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. I want to say, friends, I have wrestled this for years, and it's the first time I'm speaking on it. And so I do want to say that I have asked God for wisdom. I'm not saying that I am the fountain of wisdom. I'm just saying I'm not just standing up here and presenting my latest idea. Philippians chapter 3 says a couple of things, and so I'm, I'm just going to pick some verses. It says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. I want to tell you now for free that in this room there are people with differences of opinion. Can we hold those open-handedly this evening to allow God's Word to start to come and shape and possibly reform some of our thinking. That would be my request of you. And so what I'm going to do tonight is um, I'm a bit of a systematic guy. I like structure. And so I'm going to talk through four elements, and we're going to go on a journey, all right? So we're going to talk about creation. Then we're going to talk about uh, this thing called biblical trajectory. So what is, uh, from creation to when Jesus returns, what does the Bible say of humanity? What has been our journey? So we're going to creation, biblical trajectory. Then we're going to go to the coming kingdom, Okay, so Jesus is coming to take us all to be with him in a coming kingdom. What does that mean for us? And then we're going to land it in the fourth point, which will just be, what does wisdom look like for, t for us today? Because we're asking God for wisdom. And so I've just got a couple of things that may be helpful. Hopefully, I trust they're wise things for us to be able to handle gender and sexuality in today's culture. That's the journey we're going to go on. You ready? Jesus, we do pray that these words that come from my mouth tonight would be the words that you would choose to speak to us. So, Spirit of God, I surrender myself, and I trust that everyone sitting here surrenders themselves so that they would hear your heart, your mind, in these very sensitive things that we are talking about. So, would you help us this evening, God? 
Amen. As we look at creation, um, you see, we, we, we have to understand uh, something as those that follow Jesus, and there may not be, everybody in this room may not be a follower of Jesus, and that's okay, but those of us that have chosen to follow Jesus, we believe in the creation account. So Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 give us insight into God's intention for humanity. And there are a couple of implications that come out of that, which I'm going to fly through just to give us some context. But it says in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created, and uh, He created man in His image, male and female, He created them. And then there was the, what, we, what theologians would call the cultural mandate, to go, to multiply, to subdue the earth, to fill it, and to have dominion over it. And so there's this design by God, there's this creative intent for all of creation, which includes humanity. And so as followers of Jesus, when we come to the subject of sexuality and gender, how do we make sense of Where do we start? Where do we start? Well, as followers of God, we have to start with His creative intent. It can, be only be, it can be our only starting point. And so five implications from Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, which forms the hinge point, the basis of all of our thinking and how we align ourselves. Number one, God created. God created. What does that mean for us? Well, it means this, that reality and human experience are not self-creating or self-constituting. That means that our own ideas do not dictate what truth is. God created, which means I did not. Therefore, I do not get to create an idea of gender. I do not get to create an idea of sexuality. God created. And so we have to start at that point. It begins, our Christian understanding for gender and sexuality begins with the foundational assumption about the universe itself, that it was not chaotic, that, that it is not chaotic, but that God has brought order. When God creates, there is an order to chaos. And so today, we look at gender dysphoria, we look at sexuality and its range of expressions, and it doesn't speak of order. It speaks of chaos. God created speaks of He's bringing chaos into order, and we read that in Genesis chapter 1. Gender and sexuality are not evolutionary quirks. They both find their origin in the creative will of God. Number two, God created humanity. That means, as Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven, because we're on earth, means that because He created humanity, He is the authoritative voice on what humanity should look like. And so if God is not authoritative in your world, then we've got to answer the question of, am I truly wanting and desiring to follow Jesus? Because if I am following Jesus, then I have to accept that God created humanity, and He's the only one authoritative with the authoritative voice to speak into my world. Sexuality and gender, because of God's design and God's authority, it means that they are not just malleable. Malleable means um, like you can bend them and move them and shape them. They're not malleable in our hands. We don't get to just shape gender and sexuality as we would choose to, because God's the authoritative voice. 
Number three, God created humanity in His image. In His image. And so that has many uh, ramifications, but we're talking about gender and sexuality tonight. What it means is this, that although gender and sexuality are not the sum total of the image of God, it does mean that He created us gendered and uh, with sexual appetite, and we create in His image, it means that God has design and purpose for it, that our gender and sexuality is not nothing or irrelevant or eradicable, eradicate, eradicable, that just can just disappear or can, it means that there is intention designed because it is a part of being made in the image of God. Very important point for us. To be made in God's image means that no part, no part of our humanity is purposeless or irrelevant in God's created intention. Number four, God created humanity, male and female. It means that gender is a physical construct that can be observed and seen. It is not based on modern day thought of psychology and how I feel. He created us male and female. And those definition, the definition of male and female is evidenced at birth. And so there is a physical, tangible reality and construct. It is not from psychology alone, which means that it's not interchangeable. Number five, God created male and female for one another. And so as male and female beings made in God's image, our design is ordered towards a particular purpose. That has meaning for us because it means that our gender and our sexuality has a purposeful design by our Creator God. It is not for our will and pleasure to be bent into our own psychological dream and intention. That's a creative account. Then we have this historical trajectory, this biblical trajectory. Genesis chapter 3, everything changes. There's this moment where Adam and Eve, uh, they, they sin against God, the scriptures say. They, they choose against God. And it's effectively all of humanity falls off a cliff. What we see is they get exiled from the garden. And so what their home was, God gave them this beautiful home, they get moved out of their home and they get separated from God. Then we see there's this moment of Cain and Abel, and Cain is jealous of Abel, and Cain kills Abel. And then his punishment is that he's pushed out of home. And it says in the scriptures, he became a restless wanderer in all the earth, looking for a home. And Cain says, uh, the scriptures talk about Cain, he says, this is too much for me to bear. Then God has his people Israel, and they choose against God again and again and again, and so God puts them into exile. It means they leave their home, their promised land. So exile is this, this physical reality where we have lost our home. Then we see Jesus come, and who does Jesus call around him? Who, what does Jesus say first when people want to follow him? He says, I don't have a place to put my head. 
And he welcomes all those that consider themselves foreigners and aliens and strangers and people that don't have a home. They're the ones he welcomes. And so we start to see actually that what was demonstrated in the Old Testament of exile being a physical exclusion, we start to see in Jesus that actually exile lives in all of our hearts. That we, because of our, the, what they call the Adamic sin, the first sin, we're all born sinful. We're all born apart and separated from God. We're all born in exile. And our whole life from a baby is spent trying to find home because we've lost our home. And so we are restless wanderers. And so we start to see in the biblical narrative that because we've been born in, a, in exile and we start, try to find home, we're all born with this condition. So sin, the, the scriptural word for sin, the Greek word is this word called hamatia, and it just means this, missing the mark. And sometimes we feel that sin is like this big, uh, heinous crime that we've committed against God, which it can be. But I would like to encourage us today to recalibrate what sin means to missing the mark. If I were to be throwing darts at a dartboard and the goal was bullseye and I missed bullseye by one millimeter and uh, let's say you missed bullseye by one millimeter and I missed the entire board, we both missed. That is sin. We've missed the mark of God. And so we're born missing the mark of God. And we're constantly looking for that home. We're constantly looking for bullseye. And some of us culturally may look like we're getting a little bit closer than others, but we still need to be washed by the grace of Jesus. And so this, this restless wandering, we, we're born with this propensity towards sin, with this proclivity, this propensity towards missing the mark. And for some people, as we try to find home, we wonder if our home is with a particular sexual partner. And then we don't feel satisfied. And so we think, okay, well, maybe it's in another sexual partner. Maybe it's in another sexual partner. Okay, well, maybe I've tried three opposite sex partners. Maybe I need to try a partner of the same sex because I'm restless wondering. And so we start to understand that the restless wonder puts us into this, this, order of, or this, this disordered state of chaos as we're trying to find home. Friends, I want to I say this up front, that the, the biblical narrative, the trajectory of sin, is not that uh, people that are trying to find, find their, their space and are, uh, are, are skewed from God's intention, missing the mark for God's intention and sexuality, that that suddenly makes them worse than some others who maybe don't battle in this area. I want to tell you that Jackie and me, from the, from the outside, I, I'm, I'm one male married to one woman, and we've been married for 20 years, and we have children under the cultural mandate of God, and we, we, we're fulfilling this thing. So from the outside, we can look like we are hitting it out the park. I want to tell you I'm not Jesus, and therefore I still miss the mark, and therefore in my husbanding, I still miss the mark. And so that still means I need the grace of Jesus. And so whether you have a marriage that may look like this or you are possibly uh, still wandering uh, around restlessly trying to find what your gender and sexuality should look like, we still both need Jesus. And so this is not a pointing the finger exercise. Please do not fall into the trap of thinking that because you may have your gender sorted out, by God's order, that there's not another area of your life that's missing the mark. 
And so we have this biblical narrative that, that points to this thing of being born in exile, trying to find our home. Trying to find our home. And then when Israel, the people of God, eventually get brought out of exile, exile they, they move back into what was Israel, the promised land, but it's been taken over by a whole bunch of different nations. And so there's multiple cultures in there. And so even when they find their home, they are out of sorts because of the religious practices that they find in their home. And that's what our story is today. We can find Jesus, but we still live in a world which is practicing gender confusion and sexual confusion. And so we've still got to navigate what does that look like for us as followers of Jesus today. Just a handful of years ago, it was the cultural norm. More the following of God's pattern. Didn't make it right, but it was more the norm. Today, it's completely against the norm. And we've got to find the grace of God as we go. And so, what does sexuality and gender just in revolt to God, in, in against God, look like for us? Well, concerning God's creation, if, if we are born sinful and we don't, until we find Jesus Christ, until we find uh, our love for God, what it looks like is this. There are no binding rules. Sexuality and gender are a matter of personal will and preference. Because if there was no God who created, then there are no rules to how I give expression or what I feel, or what I think about my sexuality and gender. In terms of God creating humanity, if there is no God, what it looks like in rebellion, what it looks like in revolt, is that any sexual engagement or arrangement is allowable insofar as consent is present. And any gender expression is permissible insofar as it agrees or comports with a person's self-perception. What does it look like if God created humanity in His image? What does gender and sexuality in revolt look like to that when we have not yet found God as our Creator, Jesus as our Savior? It looks like this. Since we are not special creations, endowed with the mission to exercise dominion, we just exist by vain expressions of our own autonomy and our self-justification. What does it look like for God creating male and female? Well, again, if we are restless wanderers and we have a propensity towards missing the mark, it looks like this. It looks like gender fluidity and suppression of sexed realities that just paint a portrait of gender and sexuality that is endlessly malleable, changeable, form forming, and psych psychologically grounded. What's in my head? In terms of God creating male and female for each other, what it looks like in revolt, what it looks like when we haven't yet landed upon Jesus Christ and God as the one that orders, is it looks like this. It looks like all the creational guardrails for sexuality are nullified. And without those guardrails, we just give expression as, as a, an expulsive rejection of God's authority concerning creational design and boundaries. That's the biblical narrative and trajectory. And we see it from the altar. We, we think today's generation may be desperately more wicked than previous generations. You've got to read your Bibles. This is nothing new. Nothing new. But it may be new to us. And so we've got to deal with it and we've got to handle it and we've got to have words and we've got to have 
What is Christ's attitude towards it all? Every issue of morality for Christians exists and it begins and it ends with whether God exists and whether he intends to hold individuals accountable for their actions. So let's look at sexuality and gender under the hand of Jesus in redemption. We see this, that the New Testament reaffirms the vision for gender and sexuality taught in Genesis. In Matthew chapter 19, there's this account of Jesus and he's talking with the Pharisees and he reaffirms the Genesis account. And so, again, let us not be those that believe that the Old Testament falls away because of the New Testament. It's the First Testament and the Second Testament. It's a biblical narrative. There are some things that fall away because of Jesus, but not the story of God with his people. And so Matthew, in, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus reaffirms who we are as male and female, what it should look like, what our gender, how gender should express itself. And then in Acts chapter 15, it's quite amazing. We see for the first time people that aren't Jews are coming to Jesus, are coming to God. And there's this confusion. What, do, do the Gentiles now to follow all the Jewish practices? Must they circumcise themselves? Must all the males circumcise themselves? Must, must they follow all the Jewish practices? And they, and they come and they, they sit and they seek the mind of God and they have this whole conversation. And this is their landing point. We should not make it hard for the Gentiles to come to God. Therefore, they do not have to follow the Jewish practices. But one thing they must do. They must follow the sexual morality of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So the only thing that gets brought in, if you go and read Acts chapter 15, the only thing that gets brought in is that sexuality must follow in the line of Genesis 1 and 2. And so the Bible teaches very clearly on what gender and sexuality should look like for us. And the New Testament affirms that. Then we see that the gospel actually empowers Christians to live in accord with the biblical vision for gender and sexuality. As followers of Jesus Christ, we don't believe we're our own. We believe that our lives have been laid down and that they are raised to life in Christ. That's why we do baptisms. That's why we're going to do baptisms next weekend. It's that demonstration. And so to come back to, to the propensity towards sin... When I was born, yes, my attraction was towards women. And so it fitted into the biblical pattern. But it doesn't mean that there's not this daily, I choose one woman. And so I too have to die daily and keep choosing Jackie over and over and over again. And so it's not to think that just because I have chosen Jackie for 20 years that there's not this daily dying to self and in Christ and the mercies new every day choosing to walk in a God-honoring way. And so as Christians we lay our lives down and allow them to be conformed to Christ, raised in Christ. And that's how we continue to live our lives. And that we do for all things, whether your struggle is gender and sexuality or something else. Our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to lay our lives down. 
John Piper says this beautiful thing. He says, grace is not simply leniency when we have sinned. Grace is the enabling gift of God not to sin. Grace is power, not just pardon. We have the ability. We have the ability to say no to missing the mark by choosing to receive the grace of Jesus. That is the gift that God has given us. Let's look at the coming kingdom. The coming kingdom brings incredible clarity to the vision for gender and sexuality taught in Genesis. Though sexuality and gender remain creationally intelligible despite the fall, we believe that both are ultimately designed to reflect the union of Christ and the church. I know those are some big words. But the coming kingdom is Christ uniting with the church. And marriage is a reflection of that. And so we see in the coming kingdom that there is not confusion around what sexuality and marriage looks like. Christ and the church is not to be manipulated into multiple forms. It has one form. And in the scriptures it's spoken about the bride and the groom. And so therefore, as we look at the coming kingdom, we're able to draw something of an inference and a conclusion of what gender and sexuality should look like today for us. So although we live in a present evil age, although I personally have 40-something years behind me of, uh, of a whole bunch of rubbish and stuff that I'm continually being formed in Christ, hopefully day by day becoming more like Him, I've still got to make those decisions to move towards the coming kingdom and to bring, to pray the coming kingdom that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are we courageous enough to make those decisions as those that follow Jesus? So as I land all of this, what does that mean for us today? What is present day wisdom? We say, God, we need wisdom. Gender fluidity, gender dysphoria, transgenderism, homosexuality, bisexuality, pansexuality, asexuality. Wisdom, God. I've got three things for us, for wisdom today. Number one, sin changed everything for everyone. Sin changed everything for everyone. What does that mean? Why am I saying that? It means this. That we only sit here by the grace of God. We too were restless wanderers looking for a home. And those of us that have found Jesus Christ, we are lucky enough to have found our home. Can we help those that are restlessly wandering? Can we not criticize them? Can we help by pointing them to the one who is home, Jesus Christ? Let us not forget that just because people sin differently to you, that you still sin. That we still miss the mark. Whether you're a millimeter from bullseye or off the board, we need the grace of Jesus Christ. That should govern how we respond to people, how we interact with people. Sin changed everything for everyone. 
we have to recognize that predisposition towards something is not the equivalent to predetermination on something. What does that mean? Those, those are big words, predisposition and predetermination. See, this argument of, I was born this way, it, it, it's not even a, it doesn't fit in the world of theology, the understanding of God. Because we were all born this way. We were born in exile. We were born restless wanderers. We were born sinful. We were born missing the mark. We were all born this way. And as we have searched out God, so we surrender to ourselves, we die to ourselves, and we allow Christ to form in us as we go forward. So people that say, oh, is it nature versus nurture? Is it? It doesn't matter. It, it's, not even, it's not even on the table of theolo theological thought. We were born in need of a rescuer and a savior, and we have to give ourselves to that rescuer and savior. Does that make sense? Sin changed everything for everyone. So instead, what we do need to do is we need to find solidarity in the fact that we all suffer from original sin. We all suffer. And that we are all in need of grace. And together we remind one another of our desperate need for the only solution to our sin nature. Christ and his body, the church. Number two, you're not what you feel, but who God says you are. God has a creative intent and order. He has a design. Psychology, doctors, all of those studies, they, they have an incredible place in society. But that place is not determining what gender and sexuality should look like. That is God's domain. And so when we feel things, we have to surrender that as those that follow Christ to God's pattern and his hand. And when we are talking to those that are restless wanderers, our goal is not to tell them what God's pattern is. Our goal is to tell them about Jesus who can find them a home and make them a home. That's the goal. You with me? And then number three, we're to love those outside the faith and we're to help those inside the faith. Love those outside the faith and help those inside the faith. What, is, what does that mean? You know, the scriptures say, don't judge those outside of God. How, how can we judge those that have not yet found home? Love those that haven't found a home. Love the homeless as Jesus loved the homeless. Help them find home. And then for those inside the faith, the scriptures do say, look at one another's lives against the patterns of God. But we do help each other. We don't just come and find a home and then suddenly all the old furniture's out and all the new furniture's in. It's very few people that have that luxury. Sometimes it takes years to get the old couch out and the new couch in. And so we want to help people walk in a Christ-honoring way, and that happens day by day. Our journeys while we still live is to become more like Jesus. God, help us 
I needed somebody to come and help me. Just on Friday night, try and make sense of something of 20 years. As we walk, as we journey with Christ, I have found home, but I'm still updating the furniture. And so we want to love those outside the faith and we want to help those within the faith. Friends, as I close out, it shouldn't surprise us that our greatest enemy, the deceiver, whispers into some ears who have a propensity towards missing the mark to say, did God really say male and female? Did God really say one spouse? Did God really say, did God really say, we should not be confused, we should not be naive or ignorant of the fact that the great deceiver is doing that to many people who have not yet found their home. How do we respond? Let us join the fight against placing psychology over biology. Let us submit it all to God and recognize that He makes no mistakes and created us in His own image. Sin changed everything for everyone. You are not what you feel, but who God says you are. Love those outside the faith and help those within the faith. Maybe we can just bow our heads where we are. My desire is that, well, the Word word of God says it's truth that sets us free. And maybe there are some in this room that identify with that restless wanderer language, with the missing the mark. We feel like we may be close, but we're not quite there, or we feel like we're completely off the dartboard altogether. I want to let you know, friends, that there is an incredible God. An incredible God who gave himself in order that we may know our home. We may know our purpose and the created intent of an incredible God for us. And his invitation stands for the rest of time while we're on earth. And he says, come home to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if you're here in this room and you have not yet made an encounter with Jesus Christ and you've not yet given your life into his hands, but tonight there's something that maybe you've heard or I've said that has identified with possibly something for the first time or other things that you've heard. And tonight you want to say, actually, I... I want to give my life into Jesus' hands. I would so appreciate you raising your hand and then putting it down. Everybody's eyes are closed. No one can see. But I want to know how to pray. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, I pray tonight for the men and women in this room that have responded to the invitation that you put out to say, come home to me. We thank you that 
Our home is found in you because you are the one that forgives. You are the one that covers over our missing the mark. You are the one that shows us what we were actually intended for. And so I pray for these men and women. I pray, Spirit of God, that you would come upon them, that you would seal what we would call their salvation. You would, you would seal their rescue. That they would know home from this very night. And we thank you, Spirit of God, that you would continue to take them on a journey and to use that analogy of the house, that you would continue to swap out the old furniture for the new. Would you do a work in all of these men and women's hearts that have made this decision this evening, God? While we continue with our eyes closed, if you're in this room and you you're battling with gender or sexuality, I, I want to tell you, friends, with the, the deepest compassion in my heart, I, I, I'm not here, honestly, to judge. I want to help. I want to help put you into the pattern of God and the design of God. I know that will take huge courage. And so I really do ask for you just to be respectful with eyes closed. But if there is anyone here battling with their gender or battling with sexuality, again, if you could raise your hand just, just until I acknowledge you so that I can know how to pray. God, my prayer for all of us is that your grace would continue to lead us. We thank you that you cover over all of our missing of the mark, that you continue to swap out the old furniture for the new. And I pray that we would be a people, we would be a church that reflects your love for those that are restless wanderers and that we may be those that help them come home and then help Train them in the way they should go. May we do better than what the church has a reputation for in this subject. May we do better, God. Help us to love those outside the church and to help those within. We ask for your grace over this community as our deepest desire is to worship you and reflect your glory here on earth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.